Glad you are all here. We have visitors from everywhere. Good to see Debbie. How are you guys? How do you see? Good to see you guys. Um, I, I hope to meet all of you afterwards and get a chance to know you. We're just glad you're here. So if you're ever in San Diego, you could always come and see us. Uh, you're more than welcome. Uh, would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6? We're going to talk about a jewel that the Christian has because he has been saved by grace through faith. Paul has been explaining through the book of Ephesians that we, uh, we as Christians should not live as paupers. In fact, he starts in Ephesians chapter 1. He wants us to know the riches that we have in Christ. And as we go through Ephesians, uh, we're nearing our final two sermons of the book of Ephesians. You guys are reminded that the theme of Ephesians, the theme of Ephesians is that we are to live richly in Christ. I can hear the snare vibrating because of me, right? Thanks, brother. In Ephesians chapter 1, if you recall, Paul starts out giving Christians uh, the justification, the knowledge, the understanding of what it means to live in Christ. And oftentimes as Christians, we will go through problems and go through difficulties and not understand the resources that God himself has given. But God fills us with the theology that's going to undergird us when the waves come, when the difficult times of life come. He says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you were to think about what the book of Ephesians is, it is this, it is the unfolding of all the riches and the spiritual blessings that God has for you in Christ. It's not just that your sins have been forgiven, although that is rich. It's not just that you uh, are right with God, although that is rich, but he goes beyond that. So that when the trials come, so that when the difficulties come, you will not be swept up. You'll have uh, feet that are firm. He says here, first thing is the election from the Father in verse 3, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He says, verse 5, in love he predestined, predestined us to the adoption of sons. And what he is unfolding for us, and if you notice this doctrine of election, that God chooses people before the foundation of the world to have a love relationship with him. He says, I have chosen them what, despite what, they're, what they've done in their past, despite what they're going to do. I have devoted myself to this person. And it's a wonderful blessing to know that I am loved even before the foundation of the world, to know that even if I sin, even if I mess up, and I will, that God has set his affection on me. But not only this has God set, God the Father set his affection on me, but it's also displayed in its apex and its highest point as Christ bled for me. He says here in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, Paul tells us that 
We have been purchased and with a high price. He says we have been purchased or redeemed with his blood. The word there for blood signifies the violence that the Christ had to suffer for us. The sacrifice that he had to suffer for us. Then he talks about the Spirit's sealing of our redemption. Notice he says here, verse 13, In him, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So he has permanentized, he has secured our salvation. And see, we ought not to live as if we're not loved. We ought not to live as if we don't have anyone in our corner. You know, God has given himself, he, before the foundation of the world, in the triune Godhead, they have counseled. And in their counsel, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he has thought of you. That is astounding to me. See, this is not an ambiguous, cloud, ooey-gooey kind of love. This is a definite, defined devoted, committed love to his people. I know that I'm saved, not because of what I've done, but what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has done in my life. I'm settled. And then he moves on in Ephesians chapter 2, talks about our past life, how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and then this wonderful text, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, what kind of love? Great love with which he loved us. Brothers and sisters, let me stop. Don't let theology simply stay at theology. Remember, this theology is for us to exalt God. And the theology is for you to know in a settled fact that God loves me with the great love with which he loved us. Paul's almost at a loss of words. See, if I, if I have broken relationships, if I've messed things up with my life, I know that in Christ, he has a great love with which he loved me. Do you see the firmness there? Theology has its place in my life. He says here, he raised us and he gave us mercy and we are saved by grace through faith. And then he, he uh, brought us together, verse 19, that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. And what God has done is not only has he saved us, not only has he regenerated us, but he has brought us into a new community. And if you are a Christian, you are brought into the community that is called the local church. It is his witness to what God does with his people. How God displays his love, how God displays good works. It is his witness. It is the local church. And then chapter 3 chapter three talks about how the church and how we are to grow in him. Chapter 4 talks about the quipping that the pastors give us and the evangelist gives us. Chapter 5 talks about now that we've been saved, now that we've been changed in 5.18, we have the Spirit of God, supernatural help, supernatural resources to now live this Christian life in the most difficult of relationships. And he says here, verse 22, wives be subject to your husbands. So now we have supernatural help 
for wives to be subject to their husbands as unto the Lord. And for husbands, verse 25, to love their wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. And then for children, for children, chapter 6, verse 1, to obey their parents in the Lord. Chapter 4, for fathers to raise their children in the Lord. Chapter 5, for slaves, or we would call employees, to work as unto the Lord. uh, Verse 9 of chapter 6, for masters, we can call bosses, to manage as unto the Lord. So now, in every aspect, he has given us all these resources. He turns in verse 10 of chapter 6. And not only do you have those resources, can you see Paul by the, by the Holy Spirit just lathering our blessings over and over and over so that we would not feel this woe is me kind of thing? Okay. Oh, I know that God saved me and God rescued me, but woe is me. My life is terrible. I have no hope of living. Oh, that is not the Christian life, brothers and sisters. The Christian life is one now, he says, one of battle in verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. And then he enfolds how we are to protect against spiritual battle. And then now he changes in this next section of this last rich of the last portion of the riches that all Christians have. And that is your ability, your responsibility, your stewardship, your relationship to be with your Father in prayer. In prayer. He says in Ephesians chapter 6, and this is the text we'll be dealing with this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am in an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. How could we talk about prayer without praying? It's amazing that you said to come boldly into this throne of grace. Because of what Christ has done, we have this access to you. We can talk to the God of the universe, and yet we neglect it day in and day out. Oh, may we see our need. Oh, may we cling to Christ. Oh, may we abide in him in prayer. We pray, Father, that we would not be a prayerless people. That if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, that our lives would be a constant prayer to you. It speaks of dependence and and of love. We pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts, convict, encourage. Do this work in Jesus' name. Amen. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would give yourself to a lifetime of prayer. 
God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would give yourself to a lifetime of prayer. To pray, to be a Christian without praying is to be a Christian without breathing. One of my brothers said that. Christ-centered biblical prayer has three very distinct characteristics. If you want to give yourself to a lifetime of prayer and thus be used for his glory, because let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you want your life to count, the only thing that's ever going to count is what you've done for Christ in the right motive. And anything for you to do to be effective, to have any of your ministry efficacious, is will, has it been attended and worked through by God? So the first characteristic that you need to understand and practice is to verse in the verse 18a, the first portion, is to be ever dependent. And what I mean to be ever dependent, that means to be ever dependent on God. Prayer is actually a litmus test of your dependence on God. No matter what anything says, anybody says, if you say you trust in God, you depend on God, but you don't pray to God, it actually shows that you don't think you need him. One commentator said it this way, that a man, a Christian without prayer exalts the autonomy of man. You are saying, though you may not say it with your lips, you are saying, I really don't need you, God. I got this. You know, I really could handle this life. I really could make my ministry efficacious. I really could be fruitful. I really can love my wife apart from you. I really can love my husband apart from you. I really can Shepherd my children apart from you. And the Bible says that we cannot. I can't. You know, I can't tell you how many times I look at, uh, I look at my to-do list in the morning. Um, I've got a, an app on my phone, and it rings, and it says, Angelo, you have this to do. You have a meeting here. You have this and that, and you have to do this. And, and I just feel like throwing the phone out the window, putting my pillow over my head, because I don't feel like I could do it all. I feel intimidated. I feel fearful. Until I get with my father. Then I feel like I have all kinds of power in Christ. In Christ, not in myself. The word there says to pray. That means this word for pray. And in the Bible, it uses different words for the word prayer. This word means to pray. It actually means to speak to God, to ask God for, to address God. The first section, it's a, it's a prefix of the word. Um, it's usually used for in the face of, right? Toward God. It's a request of God. And so prayer is a reflection of how you really depend on him. If you get up in the morning and you don't spend time with your Lord and, or, or all through the day, you don't acknowledge who he is, and you call yourself a Christian, you are essentially a practical atheist. There are aspects of this dependence that God has told us about in the text. Notice, prayer first is looking. Prayer is looking. And that is looking to God. It says here, with all prayer and petition. The word there for all speaks of different types of prayer we are to do. There's not just one type of prayer. 
And in fact, I hope you never pray. Sometimes I, uh, I will pray with someone and all of a sudden we're speaking normally. And then as we're praying together, all of a sudden they're speaking in old English. I thanketh thee. Oh, thanketh thee. I'm like, what are you doing? You don't speak like that. Why are you praying like that? Right. Because it's now it's become it has this air of religiosity and now it's not real. And yet God would desire for us to be real, not disrespectful, but real. And part of being real is the different types of prayers. There is the ordered prayer. There is the corporate prayer. There is the personal closet prayer. There is the prayer that, oh, I think I'm going to die. This car just just hit the brakes in front of me and I don't have enough time. God help me kind of prayer. There's all these mixed, there's corporate, private, group, spontaneous, planned, prayer based on needs, intense needs, standing, kneeling, hands raised, lying down. Have you noticed in the text, in the New Testament, there's no real position prescribed? That's because we are, it says here, we are to keep, keep praying. And then the word there for petition means an entreaty, a supplication or a prayer. And this word is more likened to that which is asked with urgency based on a presumed need. In other words, I really need this for the gospel to go forward, God. I really need this to glorify you. God, you really must act. You must work. One of my favorite preachers, his name is Spurgeon, who I'll be quoting copiously today. He said, you will observe that the desire to commune with God is intensified by the failure of all other sources of consolation. Do you get it? God, there is no one who could meet my needs like you. There is no one who knows my soul like you. There is no one who could change people's hearts like you. I can't turn to anyone. Have you ever tried to argue someone into heaven? That doesn't work. But you know what does? Is when God melts the heart. Amen? The word there for prayer, prayer is not only just looking, it's looking unto God, but prayer is also unceasing. Prayer is unceasing. And the word unceasing at all times, that doesn't mean that every single moment of the day I will spend my day with my eyes closed. You'll never be able to drive. Please don't do that. That's a wrong interpretation of that, okay? You'll get in an accident, right? But the word therefore at all times really means a continual, one commentator puts it this way, continually conscious of my need for God and his grace and his work in my life. I'm continually dependent, continually pursuing him. Thessalonians says what? Pray without ceasing. Okay. So now I have a heart of dependence. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you to work, God. This is what typified the early Christians in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You don't have to turn there. I'll go ahead and read it for you. 
it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. How do you know you're growing in the Lord? That there is an attitude, an event, a growth in prayer. I don't want to be where I'm at five years from now in my prayer life. I'd like to be at one more with God. Prayer in itself, brothers and sisters, is not so that I can change the mind of God. Okay? I can't change the mind of God. It is me coming before him in his word, asking him to change my mind. God is always working. I just pray that I would have the heart and the will that is now aligned with what he's already doing. Amen? I want to be there. I want to pray at all times. Leaders ought to be devoted to prayer. Remember Paul says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You cannot, if you are any part of shepherding, shepherding your kids, uh, any kind of ministry, discipleship ministry, brothers and sisters, if you think you could make some kind of effective change in people's lives without communing with your Savior, you have no power. There will be no fruit. It will not be his kind of gospel-saving, life-changing fruit. And so we ought to be getting together and say, God, Move on our children's hearts. God, move in our people's hearts. Move in our friends' hearts. Do that work. Spurgeon again, I'm saying Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, no man can grow in grace if he neglects prayer. I think that's right. You're not going to grow in the Lord. So in being dependent, you have to know what that prayer is a looking unto God. Prayer is unceasing, but also prayer is a yielding. Prayer is a yielding. It says here, praying in the Spirit. Now, the word there for praying means, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Does that mean I get wrapped up and lost and now I don't think, kind of like Eastern religions would teach? Now I'm no longer thinking, but the Spirit is taking over? No, that's not what the word means. The phrase there, praying in the Spirit, as we have seen in Scripture, means to pray and to be in harmony with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do you know you're in harmony with the Spirit? What you pray is in harmony with the Scriptures. And you notice, the Bible speaks much of folks who pray and are not in harmony with the Spirit or, I'll say it this way, are not in harmony with the will of God as outlined in Scripture. David said in, in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Okay. So, if you expect to hear an answered prayer from God and you are harboring unrepentant, unconfessed sin, the Bible says he will not hear. 
Another unyielded prayer, unyielded to his will, is what Solomon talks about in Proverbs 28, verse 9. He says, he who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. In other words, God thinks your prayer smells if you are not right with him. This is why before we even talk of prayer, before you could even speak to God, you've got to know that you have to be right with Christ. And how do you be right with Christ? You've got to trust in what he has done on the cross. And that's it for your salvation and for your forgiveness. When you know this as a fact, the Bible says you have, he has purchased not only your forgiveness, but this wonderful access that is called prayer. Peter says, Peter says that if your home life is not right, God's not going to hear. 1 Peter 3.7 says, you husbands likewise, this is harsh, okay, this is harsh. You husbands likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may be hindered. The Bible says that husbands, it is incumbent upon them to live with their wives in an understanding way. That God won't hear your prayers if it is not yielded to him, if your life is not yielded to him. One, um, one person said, men are always quarreling with God because he will not submit his will to their dictation. Do you get that? They're always quarreling with God because they want God to do what they want rather than submitting themselves to what God wants. We can't, we can't hope to do this, right? This is wonderful. Here, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Prayer ex Prayer expresses it in ways that we cannot. The Spirit helps us. He empowers us in ways that we cannot pray. Notice in uh, Romans chapter 8, this is a very important text. In Romans chapter 8, and just to get the flow, notice he says in verse 23, and not only this, but we also, we ourselves having the fr first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. Verse 24, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. And then notice verse 26, he says here, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Oh, I love this part. For we don't even know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings which are too deep for words. And so what this is teaching is that even as we attempt to pray, our feeble prayers, our small prayers, as we pray this, as they are going through Christ and what he's done on the cross, the Spirit takes our prayers and makes them more efficacious and expresses it more clearly more in depth to God the Father, and He answers it for us. I think that's incredible that He would even help us in prayer 
This is what it means to pray in the Spirit, to pray in harmony with Him and to rely on the power of the Spirit to help me pray. So, first, to be, um, this prayer needs to be first, we need to be ever dependent. And then secondly, we have to be consistently ready. Consistently ready. Notice verses eight, verse 18b back in Ephesians. Verse 18b. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this, with this in view, be on the alert. And so everything that governs the rest of that verse is be on the alert. Be on the alert means to keep oneself awake. Keep watch. To guard. To care for. It means to have a diligent concern for others. Okay? That as we pray... We are looking to see where they land, right? In regards to persecution, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said it to his disciples. Keep on the alert at all times, praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He tells us not to worry, but to ask for strength. Now, there's some aspects of this alertness that the text is teaching. Okay? He says that you have to understand it. Understand it. Notice he says here, with this in view, and what this means is, in our lives, brothers and sisters, as you walk and as we've been talking about spiritual, uh, spiritual battle, you will be attacked. You will be confronted Folks will disagree with what the text says. Folks will disagree with what God says in his word. And yet God would say, with this in view, that's why we have to pray. Keep watching and praying. Um, in uh, Philippians, if you would turn with me. In Philippians. Oftentimes we go here. And this is a wonderful place to go. Notice he says in Philippians chapter 4, and here's the, here is how prayer is ought to work in our lives, okay? It says, be anxious, verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer, by, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And what he's saying is this, okay? The Bible, God himself is saying to be anxious for nothing. In other words, that when anxiety builds up in the Christian's life, that is your signal. That is the God-given capability, right? That is your flag to give it to him. He does not want you to keep this, brothers and sisters. As soon as you feel this anxiety, he says, be, uh, be anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 
Let your request be made known to God. God, I'm going through this. I can't believe my boss is like this. I can't believe my son is like this. I can't believe my daughter is like this. I can't believe my wife or my husband. I can't believe I'm in this mess. What did I do? How did I get here? God, you got to help me. He says, make your request known to God. Why? Because the peace of God, what? Which surpasses what? All understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, when I'm feeling like I can't keep it together, when I feel like I'm just about at the end of my rope, he says to give it to me because I got shoulders big enough. That's what God says. Give it to me. And as we do, he may not even change your situation. He may not even change your job. He may not even change what is happening in the relationships there. But he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And what that means, what that means is now God's own peace. You got it. God has never fretted. God doesn't fret. He does what he pleases. God is in the heavens, and he does what he pleases, right? He said God's love, the peace of God, right? which surpasses all understanding. That means in the world's eyes, we don't get it, okay? Shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means, the word there for guard means his peace is going to sentinel, like a security guard, he's going to go around your mind, he's going to go around your heart, and he's going to protect you and you are going to have peace in the midst of difficult times. But it doesn't occur unless we give it to him. Be anxious for? Nothing. Oh, this is a strange thing we Christians do. We would rather keep the anxiety and hold on to it until the very end and then you pray. What in the world? We go to God last. Why? Remember that song? Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. Uh, what does it say? Or, or that other song? Oh, what peace we often forfeit, forfeit simply because we do not go to God in prayer. doesn't want you to carry it he doesn't want you to carry it you know oftentimes brothers and sisters of those uh, those of you who are in rbc i love you dearly my heart is always praying for you guys i'm always praying for you guys and i know because of who i am and my limitations and my own weaknesses that i can't i can't even shepherd your hearts the way you need to be shepherded. I can't fulfill the needs the way that God can fulfill them. I can't pastor it good enough, but I know who can. And so I go to him to shepherd you when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're, at, when you're doing what you need to do. Because why? Because only he can fulfill that need to flood you with peace when the Anxiety comes. 
Have you ever experienced that? I remember I was going through a serious trial. And I held it, and I held it, and I finally said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And nothing changed. Except me. My heart changed. And God was trying to teach me. He was trying to show me. Right? Maybe you're going through that. Maybe there's something heavy looming overhead and you're trying to use all your devices and all your intelligence and you think you got it covered, right? Maybe God is working on you to show you that you don't. To show you that you need him so that his peace can guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Understanding also, it says, enduring in it. It says, with all perseverance, with all perseverance. We've got to stay in it. That word perseverance means to endure. We've got to stay in prayer. We have enemies of prayer. One of them is impulsiveness. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Sometimes we just do things without praying. Sometimes it's anxiety, and we saw that in Philippians chapter 4. Sometimes it's the lack of strength. We need to persevere. But I love this portion of the text. It says here, go back with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Manny, can you hit the AC? I think it died. Thank you, brother. Ephesians chapter 6. Notice he says, Petition for all the saints. Petition for all the saints. Notice Ephesians chapter 6. Pray on my behalf that he says here, with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Notice what is the text? What is it asking for? It's asking that we would be dedicated to praying for one another. And here, what Paul is writing to, and Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, praying for one another that we would go on in the grace and the gospel of God. Spurgeon said it this way. The condition of the church may very accurately be gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a grace-o-meter. From it, we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of die, first tokens of his absence, will be a slothfulness in prayer. Pray for one another. I mean, just, just to help you out, I'm not doing this as a, um, as a boast in myself, but I'm doing this to help you, to put feet. If you're anything like me, I like to see how this works. Okay? And I keep this with me in my scriptures. Okay? And I have names of folks that I pray for every day, every week, every month, right? I keep it with me all the time. Why? Because the text says to pray for all the saints, doesn't it? And I can't, I can't think of them all, right? Um, and it helps me to get right into it because I know that is God sovereign over the saints' lives? Amen, he is. 
Is he sovereign over the workings and how he causes us to grow in holiness? Amen, he is. But how does he do it? He does it by burdening the hearts of his people to pray for one another so that as they grow in grace in Christ Jesus, praise goes back to God himself. It's an amazing, amazing way that God decides to use. And he wants to use your prayer. First, be ever dependent. Second, be consistently ready. Lastly, be gospel focused. Be gospel focused. None of this makes any sense unless you understand the gospel, brothers and sisters. The gospel is such that, number one, that we have, we are, there is a holy God and that man has sinned against him. And the only thing that can pay for the penalty, our just penalty, is Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And if we would trust in him, have faith in him, in his person and what he has done on the cross, solely in him we will be saved. And so this message of the gospel is what is the focus of Paul's prayers. He says, pray on my behalf. Now, you notice, it's not wrong to pray for others' needs. It's not wrong to pray for, um, you know, I, I need another job or I need a raise. It's not wrong to pray for these things. Uh, but the predominant focus that Paul has on prayers is the gospel. you got to understand, Paul is writing this from a jail cell in Rome. Okay? And it's not the nice white-collar, hot tub, fitness place, TV. They have all kind of internet, everything, right? It's not that kind of a jail. It is a stinky jail. He probably hasn't bathed. He probably has sores from the chains that he's on. And his prayer is not pray that I have better food. Okay? You get it. His prayer is not pray that I would have, you know, cleaner clothes or I have a hot shower or I could finally start working out. His prayer, his prayer is that Christ would be glorified and specifically in the way that I share the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this ought to be your heart. And you know, if you are right with God, this is your heart. Amen? I need to share the gospel. I got to. So if I were to paraphrase Paul's prayer request, notice the first one is pray that I'll be aided. Pray that I'll be aided or I'll be helped. He prays, notice Paul says in uh, chapter 6 and verse 18, pray on my behalf. Paul is not ashamed to say, pray for me. You understand? I'm, I used to think that that was selfish. I used to not share prayer requests because I said, oh, I'm only going to pray for others. And yet Paul says, pray on my behalf so that the gospel can go out. He understands how God works. He wants God to receive the praise so that when the answer comes, that the gospel did go out, the people are encouraged and they see the God of the universe work through their little prayers in the closet where no one sees. And he says this, pray that I'll be aided. He says here, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. 
He says that I'll be aided in speaking, that a word would be given to me. In Colossians 4, 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word. Paul says, pray for me that someone will be listening Pray for me that I have the right words to say. Pray for me that when I speak, God gives me the, the scripture that I already know and I could speak it at the appropriate time that will strike that person's heart so that they themselves will come and repent and know the Lord Jesus Christ. Seems far-fetched, isn't it? That out of my mouth, God would change someone's eternity in front of me. And yet that's what he does with the gospel. He says, I pray that a door would be open. We're praying all the time. I've shared with you guys many times with like uh, even right before we get into our jujitsu class. We're always praying, me and the kids. God, help us to share the gospel. Help us to be a light. Help us to be salt. And God time and time again gives us opportunity to share the gospel you have not the opportunity you have not because you what you ask not god give me the opportunity oh i've seen him answer that all the time but i'm not an evangelist it doesn't say that you see all you have to do is share a cup of coffee and start talking amen and then he says, pray that I'll be aided. Pray that I'll speak clearly. He says, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. The word there for mystery simply means that which was concealed is now revealed. That about Christ, the clarity of the gospel, the clarity of him dying on the cross for our sins, that is now revealed. Pray that I'll be able to explain that clearly. So he prays for opportunity. He prays for clarity. Lastly, he says, uh, excuse me, uh, next he says, this is <laughs> totally non-un-American, okay? He says, pray that I'll suffer well. Man, Americans, we don't like to suffer at all. We don't even like to slow down at the drive through we can't even stand how long a microwave takes, right? Right? Paul does not say, let me be free. Do you understand? He takes it. He understands that part of gospel ministry is that I will suffer for it. Philippians says what? What does he say? Not only has it been granted to you to believe, but also to what? Suffer. For his name's sake, brothers and sisters. He says to make known with, he says what here? For which I am an ambassador in chains. And now he means this. He means this. Notice he uses two words in juxtaposition next to each other. He says an ambassador, which is an official who represents another country, right? You don't put that official in jail. Do you understand? And he says here that we, you and I, we're ambassadors of another country. 
And when you sense the persecution, you know, all we're suffering right now in the States is a raised eyebrow. I think we're going to suffer a lot more, right? I think we're, gonna, we're, we're headed there, okay? If you are going to be faithful to the text, right? And even in all of my travels, I've seen some of my brothers have su- suffered horrendous persecution and they talk about it like it's normal. I told you about my friend, one of our students who I trained in uh, Asia, when he went back to Myanmar, he says, I got to go plant a church. And I said, all right, how will they receive you? He says, they'll probably beat me up. And I said, why? He says, because my village is mostly Buddhist and they hate, they hate Christianity. Because he understood what it means to preach the gospel. Oh, brothers and sisters, I hope that fear and intimidation would not stop you. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you would not cower down. And that's why Paul says, pray also that I'll be courageous. Pray also that I'll be courageous. Notice he says that in proclaiming, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You could translate that word boldly to fearlessly. Pray that I'd be fearless when I preach. Why? Because I'm weak. Why would you ask for that? Because I have this temptation to hold back. I have this temptation to stop. You know, why, why is that? Because I have this temptation to be liked. I have this temptation to not ruffle feathers. I have this temptation to kind of let things go and not have to deal with it. And yet, Paul says, pray for me. Paul, Paul you're in jail. What are you praying for? He says, I, I need to pray because I'm getting tempted to be scared. That's encouraging for me. If Paul can be scared when he's asking for boldness, I think God understands my heart. Right. Oh, pray for courage. Pray for courage. Pray that I'll have that I'll have help, pray that I'll speak clearly, pray that I'll suffer well, and pray that I'll be courageous. So why do we pray? Because Christ himself purchased our prayer, our access to prayer. We know that, and because we need him day to day. We need him. A Christian knows this, okay? You know this. Prayer is like breathing. If scripture is eating, prayer is like breathing. Amen? So give yourself to a lifetime of Christ-honoring prayer. Be ever-dependent. Be consistently ready. And be gospel-focused. Why don't we pray? Father, help us. Help us to, help us to pray. You want us to focus on you. You want us to center on you. You want us to depend on you. And so we pray, Father, you would give us clarity. Help us to pray gospel-centered prayers. Help us to rely on the Christ. Help us to rely on the Spirit. Help us to be at one with the Savior. Help us to be in communion with the Father, always in communion with the Father. Thank you for this communion Sunday as we partake of you, uh, partake of the elements, we pray. 
that we would dwell on what you have done on the cross. Thank you for this day. Bless the fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.